Hey everybody, you're listening to the Poema Church Podcast. Today we're sharing a message from our latest series. We believe the Word of God in Scripture is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website, poemachurch.ca. I don't know about you, but I spent the week in Algonquin Park, and I'm just glad to have dry clothes on. I was glad to sleep in my bed, and I'm glad to be here this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Matt, and I am the senior pastor here at New Song Church. At this time, we're going to dismiss the kids to go to their class. Thank you so much for those of you who are watching online as well. We want to welcome you this morning. And uh, this week, and I know we didn't announce it, but this week we're starting a new series. And this is something that has been on our hearts for the last couple weeks. We're starting a new series this morning called God's Plan. God's Plan. Can you say God's Plan? Now, some of you may know that as a Drake song, and some of you may know that as something else. But God's Plan is what we're calling this new series that we're going to be going into for the next few weeks. And so, could I start with a, an, a, what might seem like a random question? How well do you know your spouse? How well do you know your spouse? Some of you maybe have been married for less than three years. Some of you have been maybe married for 10 years, maybe some 20 years. And we might have a few that have been married for 30 years that may be watching today. But if you've ever been, if you've been married for a while, I've been married for 14 years now. There comes a moment in time where I can almost guarantee that you've asked the question and you have said to yourself, who are you? Come on, we've all asked that question about our spouse. Who are you? I don't know that person. I don't know you. You never told me you were like this. 14 years of marriage, I I say that sometimes. I, I don't know you. I don't know this person. But let's be honest. If you've been married longer than three years, you know that marriage is work. W-O-R-K. That's how you spell marriage. Work. It's work. Maybe that's why, according to Statistics Canada, that the average marriage is around eight to 12 years in Canada. And that's higher than most, to be honest. In the United States, it's less than eight years. But the average marriage in Canada is 8 to 12 years. It's that mark where people decide whether they're going to keep putting in the work or they're going to call it quits. Now, my wife and I, from the very beginning, as I said, we've been married for 14 years. My wife and I, from the very beginning, decided that the D word, divorce, was never going to be a part of our relationship. And there have been moments, there have been opportunities where maybe we uh, regretted making that decision because it would have been easier. And we've all been through those moments, but we decided to put in the work. We decided to put in the work to our relationship. And I think if I look back on my 14 years of marriage, marriage, if I could compare it to anything Uh, For especially us men, marriage is a lot like putting a detective hat on. Am I right? It's a lot like putting a detective hat on and trying to figure out who that person is. Trying to figure out what changes their likes, 
their dislikes. We start to pay attention to the things that they like, and those things seem like they change all the time. But we start to pay attention to things like we never have before, but we start to pay attention to the dislikes. We start to pay attention to the likes, the ever-changing food preference. I don't know about you, but my wife's food preferences change all the time. I never know what she likes anymore or dislikes anymore, but for the life of me, there's something that I seemingly cannot break, and my wife does not like white sauces. Any white sauce, which is very odd to me. It's like, why don't you like white sauces? Sour cream, don't ever put sour cream on anything. She'll never put it in her mouth. Uh, what else? Sour cream is one of the mayo. Come on, does anybody like mayo? A good mayo on a sandwich, it just makes a sandwich. But if you put mayo on something for Pastor Rachel, if you put something with mayo in it, she won't eat it because she has a dislike of mayo. For the life of me, I can't figure out what I seemingly call the white sauce riddle. It's the white sauce riddle because she doesn't like mayo, she doesn't like sour cream, but seemingly cheesecake is okay. Seemingly white cheddar mac and cheese is okay. So I don't get the riddle of the white sauce. Now for me, she doesn't like, now I love butter. Does anybody just love some good butter? Come on, I love butter, that, that churned butter that you can get from the farm. Oh Jesus, I put that on anything. I love butter, but for my wife, she doesn't like cold butter. Cold butter disgusts her, but for some reason, melted butter is okay. How is that possible? See, now I'll put a stick of butter on anything. She'll put the butter on the table when we have potatoes, or she'll put the butter on the table for bread, and I'll use about a half a stick of butter on a piece of bread, or I'll use about a half a stick of butter on a potato, because I love butter, but my wife, she can't stand cold butter. Now experts say when it comes to relationships that we must not just understand the dislikes, but that we must understand the likes. It's important for us to understand not just the dislikes, but we must also take note of the likes. Now for my wife, and I know maybe you didn't eat this morning and so I'm making you hungry, but for my wife, 11 times out of 10, if we go to a restaurant, she will always order the steak frites. 11 times out of 10. I can look on the menu and I can pretty much always guarantee what she's gonna order. Now, if there's no steak frites on the menu and there's uh, chicken parm or veal parmesan on the menu, she's gonna order that instead. So I know her likes, but I also know her dislikes. Normally we book for our anniversary, we like to go out to eat as most couples do. And normally for our anniversary, we book a fancy restaurant. Well, this year I recognized that we've been going through a lot of stuff. We've been uh, going through some family struggles and things. And so this year we did something different. I recognized that we didn't really have the energy to go out to eat. And so I decided that I was gonna make her dinner because I, if you know me, you know that when I make someone dinner, it's because I really love you. And so, and I know Jay knows that. And so I made her chicken parm. I went out probably a little bit too late, but I went out, I bought all the stuff to make chicken parm. I made up my own dessert and I prepared the table with her favorite things. 
I prepared the table with the parm. I got the, I got the, the, the fancy drinks. I got, and I made this crazy dessert out of Timbits, and I'm making you hungry this morning, where I pan fry the Timbits in butter, and I put a little extra. It's good. <laughs> but I did that on our anniversary this year because I wanted her to know that I loved her. It wasn't my desire, but it was her desire. It wasn't my want, but it was her want. It was what she likes and what she desires. That was the way that I can show my wife on our 14th anniversary this year that I loved her. It's not by giving her what I think she likes or what I think she wants, because if that was the case, then I would have been unmarried a long time ago. If I always gave her what I wanted. See, we are different people, and if I only gave her what I wanted, I don't think that I would still be in a relationship. And so often we have to remember that. But if we only decide that my preference, if I only decided to give her my preference, then she probably would have left me. If I'm paying attention to her preferences, and here's the thing, I may not understand them, and I don't have to understand them. But if I pay attention to her preferences, and I know what they are, and that's the key, I must know her preferences. In order for the relationship to work, I must know her preferences. You say, well, where are you going with all this? Where are you going with all this? Is this about marriage? This series is not about marriage. I want to show you the understanding of, in a relationship, understanding the likes, the dislikes of someone, because we have to understand that God is a person. God is a person that has preferences. God is a person that has likes. And if we don't understand those likes, how can we work in this relationship in becoming more close to him and knowing him at a better degree? The scripture, the scriptures are God's self-revelation. In them, he has revealed himself and he has revealed his preferences. And we must make note of that. In order for me to know my wife, I got to shut my mouth and I have to let her speak. I have to let her tell me her preferences. And I have to, as a husband, in order for it to work, I have to listen to the preferences. I have to listen to the likes. I have to take note of the dislikes. It's work. But I got to listen and pay attention. From what she says and from what she does, it can form an image in my head of who she is. But if I just tell her who she is, if I just tell her what she likes and what she doesn't like, then I don't truly know her. And I think so often this is how we become with God. God, this is what I'm giving you today. God, this is. A lot of times I think our relationship with God is a lot like us driving the car and God sitting in the back seat. God, this is what we're doing today. Thanks for coming along. If I know nothing about my wife, then the version that I have of her is simply a projected version of what I have created in my head. In this series, God's plan, we are going to understand who God is and his plan for the church. Scripture tells us 
from the very start that God is a person. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 tells us that God created humanity in his own image. That we were created in his own image. That we are people with a mind. We are people with intelligence. We are people with emotion. And God has a mind. We see that in 1 Corinthians 2. He has a will for 1 Corinthians 1. You can read this. I'm going to give you a lot of references. I would encourage you to write them down and to go back. And he has intellect. We see that in Psalm 139. And he has emotion. Psalm 78 verse 41. This is all so much more on display when we understand this in the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity of Jesus Christ. It gives us greater perspective. So that tells us that as Christians, just like we are in relationship with our spouse, as Christians, we are in relationship with Jesus. A lot of times this is where we get the saying and can be misconstrued is this relationship, it's, it's not religion, it's relationship. Hey, who's ever heard that saying? It's not religion, it's relationship. I think sometimes that's a little bit of a cop-out. Sometimes I think that's a little bit of a cop-out because I think those people that can say that don't fully understand how a relationship works. Because can I tell you something? Religion would be so much easier just to follow the rules to follow the regulation, and to never have to really put in any work. Religion would be so much easier. Religion is this. It's usually characterized by order, duty, rules, and regulation. But relationship, relationships that work, let me maybe say it that way. Relationships that work, they have order, they have duty, they have rules and regulations, of course, or else we'd get in a lot of trouble. And there are certainly things that you cannot do in marriage if you want it to last. But marriage has routines. It has rhythms. It has success, uh, successful marriages have rhythms. They have routines. They have ways about them that are filled with order and boundaries and respect and honor. Marriage and relationships are hard work. They're hard work. Can anybody agree that relationships are hard sometimes? People can hurt you. They're hard. But it requires perpetual selfishness and rep repentance. Relationships, oh, come on, husbands, we know this. Every day, honey, I'm sorry. You're right. Come on, we got to get this. You want to be in a successful relationship. Anytime I've asked someone who's been in a, a marriage for 50 plus years, here's what they'll always tell me. She's always right and you're always wrong. That's the key to a 50 year relationship. She's always right and you're always wrong. Come on, a relationship requires perpetual selfishness and repentance. A constant laying down of one's desires and preferences and a picking up and a paying attention to the likes and dislikes of, your other, of the other person in the relationship, the other's preferences. See, a relationship is so much harder than religion because it takes work. You have to put in time. You have to put in energy. You have to put in effort. A religion is easy because you can mail that in all day, but you can't mail in a relationship. 
you have to put in the work. The thing is, is we are in a relationship with God. That means finding out what he likes, finding out what he doesn't like. I can tell you what he doesn't like. He doesn't like sin. But I can tell you what he likes. He likes to be worshipped. He likes to be praised. He likes to be glorified. Christian worship is giving God the steak frites. Come on, you need to write that down. Christian worship is giving God the steak frites. Sometimes it might not be my preference. But if I truly love him, I will give him what he likes and desires. It's not giving him what we want and what we desire. Come on, sometimes we don't feel like coming to church. Sometimes we don't feel like lifting our hands. Sometimes we don't feel like singing and opening our mouth and praising God. But it's not what we want. It's what he wants. It's what he desires. And when we understand the likes, when we understand the dislikes, how much greater the relationship will be. Loving God is giving him what he wants. You don't need to understand his preferences. If you want to, that's great. That's bonus points. That's gold stars on the chart. Come on, I wish we still did that. I love those gold stars. I'm telling my age a little bit. You don't need to understand God's preferences or why he likes certain things and not other things. You just need to know what they are and we need to do them. Because it's absolutely worth being in a relationship with him. Because he doesn't benefit from the relationship we do. God gets nothing out of being in relationship with us. We don't add to his life at all. He is perfectly satisfied in a triune relationship and he needs nothing else. He delights in us. He loves us. He rejoices over us. He gave his son for us. In fact, it's, the quite, it's quite the opposite. He gave everything for us. The second person of the Trinity was tur- tortured and murdered for us to be in relationship with us. In fact, God's heart is regularly wounded by us when we decide to do the things that he dislikes. He, is gr- he can be grieved and experience sorrow because of us. It was not safe for Jesus to love us, but he loves us anyway. Can I give you the primary mission of the church? And maybe for some of you, you've been in church for a long time and you've been in church over the last three years as seemingly the mission has seemingly shifted because of culture and because of what we're going through. But can I shift your perspective for a moment? Can I shift your perspective maybe over the last 10 to 20 years? And maybe this is hard for us to wrap our heads around. But the primary mission of the church is not justice. The primary mission of the church is not education. The primary mission of the church is not to evangelize. It's not to equip the saints. It's not to influence the world. What is the primary mission of the church? The primary mission of the church is to worship our God. 
Now you say, well, evangelizing, that's, that's important. It is important. Justice is important. Education is important. Equipping the saints is important. But worshiping God is first and foremost our primary mission. Is worship, worshiping him and glorifying his name and giving him all the glory. Don't get me wrong, those things are important. It's important that we do missions. It's important that we evangelize. It's important that we do all these things. But they're a byproduct of worshiping our God. I think sometimes this is where things have gone sideways for many Christians and what continues to cause so much confusion around the capital C church and its relationship to God. The Westminster Catechism reads this. It says, what is the chief end of man? It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Come on, we need to glorify God and enjoy him forever, forever and ever. In other words, why do I exist as a human? Come on, we've all been in a dark place sometimes. Like, why do I exist? I've been there years ago. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What am I on this earth for? I exist in a relationship with God to worship God. That is my first and foremost primary mission. We were created to worship God. That is our primary purpose in life and everything else flows from that. When you understand that we worship him, we were created to worship him. We were created to give him glory. We were created to praise. Everything else flows outside of those things. We see proof in the scripture given in Psalm 86, verse nine, it says, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you. Lord, they will bring glory to your name. In the same vein, the primary purpose of the church, as we look in accordance with humanity, is to worship God. That's why the church is here, so that we can worship him, that we can lift him up, that we can praise his name. Worship, in other words, is a human response. It's a human response we see in that scripture that worship is a human response directed to Yahweh himself. It's directed to him. It's a call for everything that has breath to praise the Lord. That has been in songs that we've sung for the last 20 years, 30 years. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything praise his name. Let everything express thankfulness for his goodness. Can I be honest with you? The last two years have been the worst two years of my life. But one thing that I never stopped doing was giving him glory. One thing that I never stopped doing was shutting my mouth and not giving him praise. Because I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be on this stage today. I wouldn't be holding a microphone, which sometimes I feel like I don't even deserve to hold but it's because I serve a God that is good. It's because I serve a God that brought me through the darkest times. 
It's because I serve a God that brought me through the storm. It's because I serve a God that no matter what I'm walking through, no matter how I feel, no matter what looks like a seemingly impossible situation, I give him the glory and I give him the praise because he is always there beside me. Come on, we have to lift our voice. We have to give him praise. We have to give him glory. Community is great, but if we don't understand that we were created to worship him, it doesn't matter. We have to understand that God sent Israel, the first church into the wilderness. They were free to worship him, to establish culture and practices of worshiping Yahweh, which was revealed by Yahweh to Moses. Martha was busy doing all the work while Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, who chose the better thing. We see that in Luke. In John 12, 1 and 7, John rips the critics of worship by showing us that it was Judas Iscariot who bristled at Mary's extravagant worship when she wasted a year's wages pouring it on the feet of Jesus. He said, saving the money, it would have done so much more to help the poor. But can I tell you something? Worship is never extravagant for Jesus. It's never wasted. Because it takes precedent over everything else that we do. Wayne Grundem, he's a professor of theology. He says, worship in the church is not merely a preparation for something else. Let me say that again because we've got it twisted. Worship in the church is not merely a preparation for something else. It is in itself fulfilling the major purpose of the church with reference to its Lord. We as the church cannot lose our laser focus of our purpose, which is to worship him, which is to praise his name. It's the primary reason for our existence because worship is his preference. Once we understand his preferences, then we now must understand his plan, God's plan. Come on, say God's plan. We have to understand God's plan for his church. Part of God's plan for his church is our physical proximity together. Can we say together this morning? Together, come on, say it like you actually wanna be by the person you're sitting next to. Together, come on, we're sitting together, we're worshiping together, we're praying together, we're in community together. Part of God's plan for the church is our physical proximity together. Have you ever noticed as you're reading about the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, have you ever noticed the togethers? Can I read it for you and maybe point out the togethers here? It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were... Let's say it together. They were together and had everything in common. They sold properties and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together 
with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can I tell you something? Going to the local church. Key word there, going. Not watching, going. Going to the local church and being fully integrated is a part of God's plan. It's a part of God's plan that he has on this earth. Somewhere in our mind over the last two years of COVID and over the last two years of the things that have happened in the world, we have elevated our thinking and our preferences over his. That it's okay that we stay home and watch from church. Believe me, I'm thankful that we have online. But can I tell you something? Online is not a replacement. It's a supplement. Online will never be a replacement. It's a supplement. See, when they put you on medicine, you're not supposed to be addicted to the medicine. The medicine is simply a supplement to get you to where you need to be. When we understand this, that it's important that we come together. It's important that we don't sit at home in our underwear. But that we are living stones. That we're not just working on our me time. I'm all for some me time. But can I tell you something? I will always replace my me time with Jesus time. And that'll do wonders for this more than me time. So we're gone every weekend. We say to the pastor, well, pastor, I'll see you online. And then we stay online and we haven't been back to church in three years because we're comfortable with our preference over his preference. Again, the church, online church, it's supplementary. It's not a replacement. Now, don't get me wrong, I understand we only have five good weekends in Canada every year. We only have five weekends of summer every year. I understand you want to go out. I understand you want to go to the cottage. I understand that you need a vacation, that you need a break. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to put guilt on you or shame. But what I'm saying is online is a supplement. It's not a replacement. When you're not on vacation, you need to be in the house of the Lord. You need to make it a priority. Can I tell you something? And again, I'm not saying this to put shame. The first Sunday I missed in my entire life of being in church was the first Easter Sunday of COVID. That I wasn't in a physical building. A 30, at that time, a 37-year-old man. 37 years I never missed a Sunday. Never was sick. You know what? Today, we, our kids are sick. They're staying home. Again, I, I'm not trying to. My mom, no matter what I was doing, 
She found a place in the church and she took me to church. If I was throwing up, she took me to church with a bucket. Because we must understand the importance of coming together, that it's part of his preferences, part of his plan for the church. Bible says where two or three are watching online. Doesn't say that. Of course, they didn't have technology then, so maybe it's translated a little differently these days. No, no, it says where two or three are gathered where? Together. Together. Can I tell you something? Church is too organic to be in the metaverse. Churches are creating churches in the metaverse. It's too organic. It's too messy to be in the metaverse. There's something important about coming together. If it's a priority to him, it should be a priority to you. If you truly are on this journey, we must understand his preferences, just like a marriage, and place their preferences over ours. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul argues that the most logical response of worship to God's plan of salvation is that believers present their bodies a living sacrifice as acceptable in an acceptable form of worship. Can you say living sacrifice this morning? Living sacrifice. Then directly after that, in verse 5, Paul claims that believers are members who belong to one another. In other words, you belong to me, and I belong to you. But if you belong to me, and I belong to you, and then I'm stuck at home on my couch, then who's going to help you walk through the situation? Who's going to help you pray in those moments that you need prayer? I belong to you, you belong to me, and without you, I'm incomplete. And without me, you're incomplete. Because we're to be Together, I need your physical presence in the church just as much as you need mine. I need you to show up and be present just as much as you need me to show up and be present. When you and I show up in physical proximal proximity together for the purpose of exalting Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows up. Come on, there are moments when we're in worship that the Holy Spirit shows up. And something happens. Healing takes place. Come on, he begins to speak to us. He begins to reveal to us. He begins to move in our situation. When you show up, and I show up, the Holy Spirit shows up. Who, medi- who, who mediates the presence of Jesus. When the Spirit shows up, we begin to encourage one another. It's really hard to encourage someone via text message. Am I right? I've gotten in more fights when I've tried to encourage my wife over text message 
and she mistranslated it and thought I was fighting with her. Come on, but it's hard to mistranslate when you're face to face. When you're breath to breath, sometimes stinky, but guess what? I love you just as much. When the spirit shows up, we begin to encourage one another by the spirit. I need your prophetic exhortation just as much as you need mine. Because that's how the church builds itself up in love. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We all, no matter our gifts, are enabled by the Holy Spirit to encourage and exhort one another. This is God's plan. This is his plan. Come on, say with me one more time, God's plan. Come on, this is God's plan. If we follow God's plan, God will do the work of saving and adding to the church. And the church will grow numerically. The church will grow in spiritual strength. And if we devote ourselves to praising him, if we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, if we devote ourselves to the fellowship of Christ, loving God his way, seeing the church God's way, experiencing fully embodied participation in the life of the church, not standing on the sidelines. Can I tell you something? And I don't mean to go on here. Ten times out of ten, people that struggle in the church are people that don't participate in the church. I know people that have been in church for 20 years, still struggling with the same thing, still complaining about the prayer nights, about the fasting, still complaining about the park getaways, still complaining about the table groups, still complaining because they haven't served in 15 years, still struggling with the same things over and over and over again. You want to see the church? You must be the full embodiment of the church. You must come and participate and be a part and show up on time and serve and worship with everything that you got, even when you don't feel like it. Lift your hands, raise your voice. Serving kids, change diapers, I don't care. It's all a way that we can worship and serve Him. You want your life to change. You want the situations that you've been struggling with for 20 years. Then come, plug in, be a part. If we don't have a place for you, we'll make a place for you. This is God's plan. It's how we demonstrate to the Lord that we are in a relationship with Him. And that we are conscious of His preferences. That we place 
his preferences over our preferences. Because this is worship. This is what it means to worship God. This Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website, poemachurch.ca.